I've had a great time this morning already celebrating with our graduates and knew this was coming up and as I asked the Lord over the last couple of weeks to show me what, it, what text he would want us to look at today uh, in our worship, he led me to Matthew chapter 7 and it's a very simple lesson but a very powerful application for all of us this morning. It's not just a graduation sermon. So if you think we're only going to talk to them today, wake up. Because this is for all of us. Um, <clears throat> let me give you one little piece of advice in the midst of all the other advice I'm going to give you. It's very important for you to know what you're good at and what you're not good at. Right? Um, lots of things I try to be good at. Lots of things I'm horrible at. One of the things I'm really bad at is building stuff. Uh, basically, if, if, um, if I'm given the task to construct anything, even when I have directions, I struggle. And usually what happens now that when, when, you're, when you become a dad, um, you, you're faced with that issue of, wow, now all of a sudden I have to build things. And... Um, as a dad and a husband. And so I, sometimes I get it right and I'm pleasantly surprised and I get proud of myself. <laughs> uh, I'm like, wow, look what I did. And I, and I kind of need people to tell me that I did a good job because like, look at this, isn't that really good? Because I know I'm not good at it. But when I mess up, the times that I fail, this is how it normally happens, even with something that I have directions for is I'll start out, and because I know I'm bad at it, if it comes with directions, I'm the guy who wants to sit and go step by step and read the directions. I know some guys don't have to read directions, but I do. And so I'll, I'll, I'll read it step by step, and I'll get over halfway through the process of putting together whatever I'm putting together, and then I get to a step, and it says to do something or put this piece here. And so I do it, and it, and it doesn't fit the way it's supposed to fit. Or it doesn't attach the way it's supposed to attach. And what I figure out is the reason this doesn't work is because back here about eight or nine steps before, I put something on backwards. I put it on backwards or I twisted it, turned it the wrong way or it's supposed to be this way when it was this way. And so what does that mean? What do you have to do then? You have to take everything apart, right? You have to back up. You have to start taking stuff apart. And go back to the step where you messed up, fix it, and then keep building from there. Um, that's where I often find myself when I'm trying to build things. And so this morning, my prayer is that as we approach this text that we're going to read this morning, that you as individuals, that you guys as graduates will evaluate sort of where you are in building your life. And figure out that if there was a point along the way where maybe you put something together wrong that you thought you put together the right way, that maybe today might be that moment where you figure out, wow, way back here there was something that I, I, I turned around and didn't get right, and that you will accept God's gracious offer to help you take it apart so that you can go back to where your mistake was and you can start rebuilding it the right way. Um, if you haven't already found it, find Matthew chapter 7 in your Bibles. We're going to look at four verses there at the end of chapter 7. And this passage is the very end of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' closing illustration for um, 
perhaps the greatest sermon uh, teaching that he ever did while he was on earth. And this is his closing. And throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount, it's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you want to read it in its entirety, and it's very, very important. It's something that every Christian should know. Jesus has outlined what the new covenant kingdom was supposed to look like. Um, what someone who lives in his kingdom looks like. And Jesus, in this sermon, basically tears down. We're talking about tearing down and building back up. He tears down the structure that has been built by the religious leaders of the day, by the scribes and the Pharisees, because what they did was they had hijacked the law of God for their own self-righteousness and had built on top of it things that God never intended to be built. And so Jesus now fulfills the true meaning of the law and he gives instructions on how believers must live and he discusses everything from relationships to prayer, anxiety, judgment and what faithfulness to God really looks like. And he goes through the sermon and he ends with this illustration that we're going to read. Look in chapter, in chapter 7, verse 24. And I'm going to read to you from the New American Standard this morning. It says... Jesus spoke. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Jesus compares two builders. He tells the story of two builders, one who was wise and one who was foolish. And as I was thinking about our, our graduates and, and, and how they are at a point to where they're beginning to build, they're, they're at a new construction point where they're beginning to build something brand new in their life. They're beginning to build their career and what, what, what God wants them to be and, and to make plans for college and make plans beyond college. And, and they're, they're in a, a phase of, of life construction. And not just them, but all of us. There are none of us that have stopped really constructing our lives. No matter how old we get, we're still in construction. And so even if we're, even, even folks from older generations, you may feel that, oh, well, I've, I've pretty much built my life the way I want it to be. It's not, I'm, I'm not going to add a whole lot to it. Like, I'm, I'm pretty much done with it. But this applies to all of us, and there's a question that I want us to ponder this morning but the question I want to ask you is not, what are you going to build as graduates? The question for the rest of us is not, what have you built or what are you building? The question that I want us to think about today is, what are you building on top of? 
What are, you, what are you building on? What have you already built on? First, I want us to look at these two builders that Jesus describes, and there are some similarities, things that we can see that are, that are the same between these two. First is that both builders hear the words of Jesus. In verse 24, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine... Verse 26, And everyone who hears these words of mine, both of these builders have heard the gospel, they know the way of salvation, and they've heard the same instruction from God's word. Two, both build their houses in the same general location. And the reason we know that is because Jesus implies that it's the same storm that's hit both of these houses. So the circumstances that they face in their life are very much the same. The, these aren't two Houses that are built in completely different parts of the world or different cultures. These are two houses that are built, built very much in the same area, same, same town. These are two people who possibly went to the same church, heard the same preaching, likely had fellowship and friendships with the same people. Both builders also build the same kind of house. Jesus says nothing um, different about the actual structures that they put together. They're pretty much uh, identical from the outside. And neither one of them set out to build a house that wasn't going to stand up in a storm. Nobody, nobody does that on purpose. So the outward appearance of both of their lives look pretty much the same. Both builders have built their homes with the same material that looks the same from the outside, but there's one very, very, very important difference that is not visible from the outside of their construction. Jesus says the only difference between the wise builder and the foolish builder, one acted on what Jesus said, and one didn't. One obeyed what Jesus said. And the other one didn't. Um, like I said, I'm not good at building. But in the first century, I wanted to kind of get a picture of what, what would first century people have thought of when they heard Jesus talk about building houses. Um, you're in first century Palestine, and the, the land over there is very... Dry. It's very dry and hard. It's this hard clay. And most construction was done in the summer months, the driest portion of the season. So if you weren't a skilled, wise builder, you could have easily thought, well, I can just go out, find a plot of land. This land is real hard and firm and steady. I'm going to start building my house. And most houses that were built in that day were usually one big room, maybe two rooms, if you were really rich and had a lot of money, you may have a, a dwelling that was three or four separate rooms. But for most common people, it was one to two rooms that were built. So you could very easily just go out, if you weren't a skilled builder, and say, oh, well, we found this plot of land, it's firm, I'm going to begin to build my house. And you start laying um, mud brick, is what most of these houses were made out of. If you lived in... Um, in the field country, you may use uh, rocks, boulders, those kind of things, field rocks. But these clay bricks, and you would start to build your, your house. If you do that, 
in first century, what you'll find is that when the winter comes and the rainy season comes, there's lots of rain. And that hard clay that, is, that seems solid in the dry months, when it gets so much rain, it becomes so saturated that one historian said that it almost becomes the consistency of chocolate pudding. It becomes that soft and that movable. So you can imagine the destruction of a house that's built on that, what they think is solid clay. And then when the rainy season comes, that stuff turns into pudding and the walls begin to fall in and collapse and and the house can't be built. So what a wise builder did in the first century was even though it was hard and even though it was in that dry portion of the season, they began to dig through that hard clay that was on top. And they would take tools and they would dig and break that land apart and they would dig it up and they would keep digging and keep digging until they found the bedrock. There was usually a layer of bedrock underneath that clay that was solid. And if you were a smart builder in the first century, you dug that ground down deep enough so that you got to the bedrock and then you started putting your bricks together. And you built the foundation of your house on that bedrock. So that's the illustration that Jesus is using. He says there are smart builders and there are foolish builders. And then he compares and says, the one who hears my words and acts on them is like the guy who builds the house the right way. The one who digs through the hard dirt to find the bedrock and builds his house on the rock. But the foolish one is like the one who is only hearing and listening to my words but doesn't act on them. He calls them foolish. He says that they're a fool. The scribes and the Pharisees had all these traditions and rules that they valued in their attempt to honor God. But all of them were only external. There was no depth. There was no foundation that was solid for them. On the outside, they had the appearance of truth. But their hearts were empty and their desire to obey only went as far as it would uphold their outward appearance of being righteous. They thought they were honoring God, but their hearts... We're empty and far from him. So it would be really easy this morning for me to speak to our graduates and to all of us and encourage everyone to look into your future and build a foundation of good moral choices and good righteous behavior. And I could tell our graduates that God wants them to be successful in their future for earthly success and wisdom and to build their house on that but if if that's all I told you this morning um, I would have misrepresented what Jesus is trying to say in this text on the surface of these two builders houses there seems to be no difference but the difference is all in the foundation one built on the rock and you say well Eric what is the rock what is Jesus talking about when he says the rock this is your rock Okay, this is, this is it. It's the, it's the word of God, the word of Christ. And, 
And Jesus says here, the one who builds on the rock. And the one who surrenders to obey the word. It's deeper than just saying, what Jesus is saying here is not just, not just saying that the Bible is the rock. Because we've all got a Bible. I mean, you, you've got Bibles at home. You've got them in your pockets, on your phones. We have, we have the scriptures everywhere. Jesus doesn't just say, the ones who hear my word. He says, but the wise builder was the one who hears my words and acts on them. You can have it and hear it and still be building on sand and mud. Jesus says the ones who act on it are the ones who are wise, the ones who are building on the rock. The one who builds on sand, their primary concern is appearance, simplicity. Um, They're usually in a big hurry because they want to get their structure built as quickly as possible. They want to get their righteousness before men built up as quickly as possible so that people can see how much they love God when in fact their hearts have never been changed. There's no substance or heart-motivated desire to follow Jesus completely, but only to take on the appearance of a Christian as long as it's comfortable and convenient. And you can quickly tell when the first sign of conflict comes into the foolish builder's life, they will drop their mask quickly. And when temptation comes and temptation tries to get us to dance with sin, the foolish builder will jump right in. The foolish builder is the one who will jump right into sin and say, hey, it's okay, God's going to forgive me anyway. I can just pray and ask God to forgive me and it'll be all good. That's not the rock, that's the sand. The foolish one is also the one who will take what God has said in his word as what is truth and what is sin and what is not sin and put a nice 21st century twist on it and say, oh, you know what, I know that God says that, but he really doesn't mean it. Or that's not really what that means. This thing really isn't that big of a deal. That's the foolish builder that builds on the sand. It's part of a deception, guys. It is part of a deception of Satan. And it's not a new deception. It's not something that just came along in the last few years or the last few decades. It's something that he's been doing from the very beginning of time. If we go to Genesis 3 and we see the creation story and we see the serpent's first encounter with Eve... This is exactly what he still does to us. Listen to chapter 3 in verse 1 in the NIV. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He's still using that one. He still uses that that beginning phrase. Did God really say? Did God really say that this was a sin? Did God really say that this doesn't honor him? Did God really say there was judgment for people who did 
this, I didn't think this was a big deal. Satan says to Eve, did God really say you couldn't eat of any tree in the garden, which is actually not what God said. <laughs> he took what God said and he twisted it. And so at, at, at the beginning, she's smart enough to, to catch the trick. And the woman says to the serpent, no, we may eat of, from all the trees in the garden, but God did say that you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the center of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. <laughs> you will you will certainly not die the serpent said to the woman for God knows that when you eat from it your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil I know God said that (laughs) but that's not going to happen That's not going to happen to you. I know God said that if you make this a pattern of your life, if you let this characterize who you are, that it's going to lead you to destruction. But God, that's not really going to happen. Because God knows that you're going to do it, and nobody's going to, there may not even be anybody who finds out about it. Nobody will even know. It's not even that big of a deal. And God knows that. It's the same tricks. And it says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The deception is this, that you're smart enough to figure it out on your own. The deception is that I can live a life that honors God without really having to pay attention to this a whole lot. That's, that's the sand. And to live a life that falls into that deception, to think that, that is building your house on the sand. The foolish man justifies his sin. He puts the responsibility of his own choices on others, sometimes even on God. It's God's fault that I'm this way. He chases the easy way and folds whenever Jesus calls for obedience that's too difficult. Like, I love Jesus, but that's too hard. I can't do that. So he doesn't even try. He does everything he can to keep up the appearance of being righteous, but there's no personal relationship with God outside of his participation in Christian activity. The foolish man will come to church, come to church regularly, will sit in Bible studies, will be a part of things. He will volunteer, he will be active, he will give. But when he's not here and he's not participating... There's nothing. There's no relationship. There's no interaction. There's no being molded into the image of Christ. His first desire is to please himself. Take the shortest and easiest route possible 
in his spiritual journey. Let me just hurry up and do whatever I need to do to make God happy so that I can be okay. He seeks the opinions of other people and makes decisions without seeking the counsel of Scripture. Way more concerned about what everybody else thinks and what's politically correct than what God's Word says. And he likes the feeling he gets when he comes to church. But he only looks for the church to provide spiritual highs and neglects the opportunity to gain any depth from consistent commitment to it. As long as things are going great in church and he gets a good feeling when he comes, he shows up. But as soon as things become difficult, or as soon as he's given opportunity to experience a deeper relationship, a deeper understanding, a deeper walk with Jesus, he doesn't show up for that part. But Jesus says, one builds who is wise. The wise man builds carefully because he understands the importance of what he's building. He understands that the life that he builds isn't just for himself. It is a representation of Jesus to the rest of the world. The wise man isn't satisfied with superficial confessions or shallow commitments. He sees the sin in his own life and the sin in lives of people around him. And rather than scoff at them, he mourns over it. He mourns at his own sin. When Jesus in the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The mourning he was talking about was not the mourning that we feel when someone dies. He's talking about the way we view our own sinfulness. And he said, blessed are the ones who see, who mourn over their own sinfulness. For they will be comforted. He knows he owes everything to Jesus. So to follow Jesus' commands and to serve his church is never a burden. It's always a joy. It's always in gratitude. He also understands that perfection is unrealistic for him. And he will fall from time to time, but he doesn't excuse himself to fail and make God's grace cheap. He lives for obedience and commitment to what Jesus says rather than bending or swaying to what people say. When it comes down to it, the wise man fears God more than he fears people. So... Since the lives of both of these builders look very much alike on the surface, how do you tell the difference? Well, Jesus says there's one way in the end that the difference will be shown, and that's when the storm shows up. Now, life, we we think about storms, and we think about storms of life and how our lives can become difficult, and storms come in and out of our lives. Absolutely, they do. And is it true that someone who has built their life on the rock is going to be able to withstand those storms better? Yes, it's true. But I don't even think that those are, that's not the storms that Jesus is talking about here. 
both houses in this illustration, both houses go through the same storm and only one stood strong. The other one fell and it fell hard. Jesus in that, the storm he's talking about is judgment. The storm he's talking about is his great righteousness when it is poured out in judgment over sin. When we stand before him. The wise builder who has built his house on the rock, who is the word of God, and the word of God in John chapter 1 is Jesus. The one who has built his life on the foundation of God's word in Jesus, that will stand. But then at the great white throne judgment is where all of the unwise builders will have their huge houses of religion And they'll say, look at all we did. Look at all this great stuff, Lord. And Jesus says he'll look at him and say, leave. Depart from me. I I never, ever knew you. So I want to take just a second and speak directly to these guys that we're honoring as graduates. We want the greatest for you. Okay, we want the absolute greatest for your life. And we want you to go out and do great things. But there's more than that that we want. We want everything that you build to be on this rock. This rock and your desire to obey it. You're not going to be perfect all the time. You're going to mess up. But when your heart is surrendered to Jesus and your heart is set on obeying, that's, that's what he's talking about that's what he wants don't make a commitment to follow your dream whatever it is without placing all your dreams under the lordship of Jesus let everything you do pale in comparison beside your love for God's word and to do what it says no matter what it costs you that's building on the rock And the truth is you'll never, ever, ever have the power to be able to build a life on the rock without the transforming power of the cross changing your life and bringing you salvation. You surrender to the cross and you surrender to Christ as Lord. And that's the same truth for all of us. So you may be thinking, wow, That sounds kind of gloom and doom, Eric. I think maybe one of the things that we that we don't do in church well is that we offer invitations for people to come into the kingdom and follow Jesus and we talk about all the great things about following Jesus and that is very, very true. But so many times when Jesus gave the invitation to follow, he also spoke about the fact that judgment is real. And that there will be a day, there will be a reckoning. That when sin will be judged, and his holiness and his righteousness will come swooping over it and completely consume it. So the good news is the storm that he's talking about. The storm that's going to come one day and blow and beat on your house 
that you've built, whether you've built it on the sand or built it on the rock, the storm of judgment's going to come. The good news is it's not here yet. The good news is you still have time. You still have time. If your, sto- if your house is built on the rock, keep building. Just keep at it. Keep building. But if you're here this morning and you're thinking, I don't, I don't know. I think, you know, I just kind of started coming to church. And I like the way it made me feel. And I like hearing the music and the sermons. And I just started coming. And, and, uh, and I, I've just been coming. And, and I thought, because I came and because I enjoyed what was going on. And I give money sometimes. And I participate in stuff. I, I really thought that made me a Christian. That's the deception. That doesn't make you a Christian. The blood of Jesus shed on a cross to pay the penalty and the guilt for all of your failure and sin applied to your life by your faith, trusting in Jesus as the only way to be saved, the only way to escape the storm, the only way to become a Christian. It's nothing that you do in your righteousness. It's all about what he's already done in his righteousness and you accepting that and applying that to your life. And then not just taking it as a free gift and running and doing whatever you want to. Jesus says the ones who will be found built on the rock are the ones who receive salvation and it's shown in their life by their obedience. The sad truth is that if, if religion for you was nothing, if your faith for you was nothing more than a prayer you said a long time ago and there's no consistent pattern of obedience to the scriptures in your life, then your house may be built on the sand And maybe you've just been deceived into thinking that you were on the rock when you're really not. And no one can tell you that except God. I can't. And so that's what we trust the Holy Spirit to do this morning. But the storm's not here yet. You can still begin to tear apart what you've built and go back to that place. Go back to the foundation and say, you know what? I'm ready to start rebuilding on a solid foundation. I'm ready to start rebuilding my house, but I want to build it on the rock of Christ and his word. And I want to follow it, and I want to love it, and I want to obey it. And I know I can't do that in my own power, but only in the power of the resurrected Jesus in me that comes through my faith in his crucifixion, in his death, in his resurrection. So there was a wise builder and a foolish builder. Which one have you been? And which one will you be when you leave here?